Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it and why we need it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Today I'm talking to Katie Parrott, KP, or she's also been described as Tinkerbell Cross with Terminator. Katie was a finalist in the 2016 BBC series Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week. Since then, she's gone on to train as an Army Reserves combat medic and has been deployed out to Armenia, Georgia, Afghanistan and Norway. Katie is also a montane athlete, supported in competing in endurance events and mountain expeditions. Despite major knee surgery at the end of 2020, she came back and completed the Montane Laplang Articulture 185k only 15 months later. There's a fantastic YouTube video just being released about that, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. She's passionate about self-leadership, having a can-do mindset and leading by example to inspire others. So I thought she would be the perfect guest to tell me everything I need to know about resilience. <laughs> Over to you, Katie. Gosh, like the pressure's on. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. No, thanks for inviting me on. And it's like I've seen that you've been doing some very interesting talks to various groups over the last few months and maybe a bit longer. I mean, is resilience something that comes up or is woven into those talks? Has it been something that you've thought about? Yeah, it definitely features in 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 the talks that I do. Most of them are a sort of my a bit of my my general life story about how I ended up getting into endurance events um and and a lot of that was discovering a physical and mental resilience that I never knew I had from uh, from doing the BBC show Special Forces Ultimate Hell Week um, <laughs> I mean I can't wait to ask you about that so when we so I well I put everybody on the spot with this question but when we talk about resilience have you got a definition that works for you anything that you'd like to share there for me it's it's both the physical and the mental aspect of being able to cope with adversity and also bounce back from from setbacks yeah that's a really nice to include both the physical and mental so going into your special forces ultimate hell week I mean because that's when I first kind of saw you bounding onto the scene and then completing all these events. And I thought that you had a military background. I thought that you'd been doing this thing for a long time. But actually, that seemed to come out of the blue when you were... Were you doing a master's at the time in like wildlife documentary making? Yeah, so I was doing my master's in wildlife filmmaking in Bristol. And a friend suggested that I apply to go on the series and... I seem to have this inability to say no for a challenge, but I never actually thought I'd get on. So when I got the call to say, right, you're off to South Africa, we'll see you at the airport in five weeks, I was I was a bit, I was quite shocked. And also <laughs> thinking, God, what have I got myself into? Because I'd never done anything like it. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have a military background at the time. I've got no military family. So it was a complete sort of out of the blue thing to enter and I honestly had no idea how I would do. I 
had no expectations of myself sort of entering into the show and just I just said to myself before I went just don't give up that was the only promise I made to myself just don't give up and were there any times during that well first of all like during that what you were taken out of your bed and put in a coffin you were made to do some crazy (laughs) tasks I mean like was there any point that you did think you were close to giving up or was it never in doubt there were there were a few times the coffin wasn't one of those times actually that was quite a nice break from from being thrashed um, and it was a bit a bit of peace and quiet for a few hours which I don't think the producers were very happy with so tell us <laughs> I about just relaxed in there. Uh, tell us about some of the other things that you were up to on that week well it wasn't a week I'm guessing two, it was yeah, a bit longer two weeks but... in the end um, um, yeah I think I think probably the hardest point for me was the day after being locked in that box um we were out on sand dunes it was about 40 degree heat and we were carrying 25 kilos each plus an extra 200 kilos between us in a a 90 kilo dummy logs boxes of sand and we basically had to navigate over these sand dunes and walking on sand is not fun at the best of times let alone when you've got all that kit on and it was just I was exhausted it was it was really really hard and my team lost that round so I thought in my head well I'm gonna get sent home um because of this and it was yeah I was I promised myself I wouldn't cry on telly and that was the one time I got close (laughs) I didn't quite but I was like holding it back just like oh god yeah it was it was really tough and you were competing, like you were talking about the weight there, like there wasn't any um, difference between what you were carrying and the blokes. And was it? I mean, like, no. I, I'm, I could never be described as Tinkerbell because I'm way too tall, but you're not. <laughs> no, I'm only five foot three and I was 24 at the time. But no, everyone was carrying exactly the same kit, exactly the same weight. And then uh, what was the premise of the show? Just that you were put through these gruelling tasks and then who who decided whether you were going through or not? the next round so every 48 hours was a different special force like a different special forces uh from a different country so they basically had 48 hours to just thrash us in special ways that they do on their sort of courses and their selection so for example we had the south korean sort of navy seals equivalent so that a lot of that was water-based and then with the South African Reckies, a lot of that was out in the bushland. Um, and they ultimately, you either could give up and choose to quit or usually at the end of each episode, uh, at least one person was uh, kicked out by the by the country that was leading that episode. And was, I mean, I'm guessing kind of like, I think in the coffin where you kind of, water started coming in and like was there a point there where you forgot that it was a tv show program and thought actually I could be in danger or I can imagine there you just think well they're not going to kill me so I'll just (laughs) get through it but like carrying the bags through the sand I mean like it's gonna be exhausting whether it's a tv program or not isn't it yeah I think I think watching it back I I watched it and I thought it doesn't look anywhere near as hard as it was I think because they they cram 48 hours into a one hour episode. So the audience will see 
the task on the sand dunes for maybe 10 minutes in the episode but in reality we were out there for four or five hours um so although yeah it was a tv show and in the back of my head I was I was thinking that exact thing they can't actually kill me they can't actually (laughs) drown me in a coffin they can't let me fall off this this plank over a quarry (laughs) they Um, can let you get quite tired carrying stuff (laughs) yeah they can make me exhausted and they can really challenge me so going into that like going back as well to thinking about the physical and the mental side of resilience there I mean physically what sort of shape were you in um I guess you you were fairly fit but how would you describe that I was I mean I was relatively fit I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was that fit if I'm honest um I had five weeks notice to say I'd got on the show so I then spent those five weeks with a pack on sort of running around my local parks um and I really trained hard for for those few weeks but I think something that I've noticed now is for that event I or the show I didn't really do any mental prep I guess because I had no idea what I was going into so I I didn't know how to mentally prep so I just went into it having no idea how I would cope what was going to happen just taking it each hour at a time whereas whereas now I do take the time to try and mentally prepare myself for for endurance events as well as doing the physical prep I think it's just as important so if somebody came to you if I came to you Katie and said I've been selected five weeks I'm off to ultimate hell week um like what sort of mental prep do you think that you could have done with hindsight I think it's the things like um forcing yourself to train when you really don't want to it's getting yourself uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable and and you know I'm not saying stay awake all night and sleep deprive yourself but it's it's just yeah making us putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations and just getting on with it um because that was yeah probably what what broke people was not being used to the sleep deprivation and the constant shouting and just just constantly getting worn down um it was the mind games that I think yeah ultimately broke people in the end to get some stuff (laughs) still if I got tried to get somebody to shout at me I'd just laugh yeah (laughs) so there's some bits that you just can't prepare for I'm guessing no no exactly (laughs) it's a very unique um a very unique scenario to be in but I think there are plenty of other things that you can do to mentally prepare yourself for for endurance events, for expeditions. Um, I don't think many people will end up getting thrashed by by ex-Special Forces guys. <laughs> so, yeah, moving on. Unless to... you're into that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, moving away from maybe the extreme of the TV programme, but that kind mm. of, that led to you then applying for the Army Reserves, didn't it? Yeah, How it did, did that come about? just um a few of the instructors on the course were like right you need to join up for the military um but I was halfway through my master's at the time and I didn't want to sort of put all my eggs in one basket which is why I then immediately signed up for the army reserves and gosh yeah that was six and a half years ago now and it's it's just snowballed and turned out to be so much more than I ever thought and I've had some 
amazing experiences. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have to have done that and to have joined a unit that are really supportive. And um, I've, yeah, like like you said, I've, I've managed to travel all over the world. Um, I've done deployments. I've trained foreign soldiers. I've climbed mountains. Um, it's yeah, it's been it's been a really great experience so far. And you've so the army reserves is that's kind of part time, but I'm guessing. Mm. I mean, it still sounds a massive commitment. We're not talking like an hour a week, are we? Um, and what else have you been doing in terms of employment and work aside from the army work? Um, gosh, all sorts. So. I worked in TV production for a few years, so sort of nature adventure um, TV production in Bristol, and I then left that to because um, I volunteered to go out to Afghanistan in 2019. So my contract came to an end at a TV company, and I then yeah went straight out to Afghanistan for seven months. So that sort of took a whole year of my life because of pre-deployment training and post-deployment downtime um and then and then after that that's when sort of covid hit and a lot of people's lives suddenly changed and a lot of people assessed what they were doing um and i never found myself sort of back in into the tv world um not yet anyway but then ended up going on to the all arms commando course so it's a course run by the royal marines um it's an 11 week course that is a lot of thrashings as well (laughs) um and that was that was another great opportunity but also one that caused me to have quite a significant setback at the end of 2020 yeah so what happened then so uh, was was this during the training or do you complete yeah so during the commando course um I was doing my lap around the obstacle course and one of the obstacles is a six foot wall. Now being five foot three, it was always quite a struggle <laughs> for me to get up and over it. And I'd really struggled the week before and I hadn't managed to get over it. Um, cause you have, um, webbing and a rifle on your back. So total have about 30 pounds of kit on. Um, and this particular time I was determined to get over it. I did get over it. I was so pleased with myself. But then as I dismounted and landed, I felt and heard a massive pop and fell to the ground, screaming my head off, I think. Like you knew Um, something serious had happened at that point. Yeah, I was honestly, I was too scared to look at my left leg initially because I thought the bottom half was going to be stuck out the wrong way. That's what it felt like. Um, And yeah, after x-rays and MRIs, it turns out my left knee it decided it was made of cheese string on that day and fully ruptured my ACL, shredded my meniscus, fractured top of tib, top of fib, um, and had to have a massive uh, knee reconstruction. Wow. So as a fellow knee, <laughs> not quite cheese string. I don't you know what my pain. <laughs> not sure what mine are made of. Something very brittle and um, pretty useless. <laughs> so... I mean, at that point, what were you thinking? Were you thinking that this whole career could be in jeopardy? And um, yeah, tell me what what was going through your mind then? Um, The initial couple of weeks after my injury, 
that I was actually okay. It was after my surgery that I then started to really struggle because I was then back at square one, I guess. And I got told that I would have at least a year of rehab ahead of me minimum. And to be told that when I was probably at my peak fitness before then, I was doing lots of endurance events. I trained ridiculously hard for the commando course. So to be told you've got a whole year of rehab ahead of ahead of you, I um I really struggled for the first couple of weeks actually. And all I could do was think about all the things that I can't do. I can't ski, I can't run, I can't do burpees, I can't climb mountains. And I think I felt a bit of a loss of identity because all those things sort of that's what makes me me. Um and then uh Wim who works at Montaigne he sent me a really lovely journal and it had a handwritten note at the beginning and the final sentence uh he said you are more than just what you do and that really kind of it made me think a lot and it hit home because I was like yeah do you know what I can't I can't run I can't do all these things but I'm still the same person and I've still got the same head on my shoulders so I pretty much slapped myself around the face and said stop feeling sorry for yourself there's people a lot worse and and actually there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel you just have to work really hard and you just have to apply the same dedication that you would training to an ultra to this rehab and I and I suppose I just saw it as a a different type of challenge just an unexpected one that I didn't want to take on but unfortunately I had to and from then on I just tackled my rehab um really rigidly I was super strict um I was lucky enough to have the support of the military so I pretty much rehabbed full time which was which was incredible I was so lucky and also got sponsored by a private rehab clinic outside of Bristol so they gave me a lot of support as well the Thornbury Clinic thank you um thank you to them I mean if they want to sponsor the program and offer me some rehab (laughs) I'm all for it yeah just I had had so much support which which was amazing I couldn't have done it without without them without my friends and my family um so yeah I'm really I'm really grateful that I I got the chance to really focus my time into my rehab and, and sort of give myself the best chance of getting back doing all the things that I love and did you know like what what was the advice that you got did you know that you would be able to get back to doing the things that you have been doing um um they were hopeful obviously no doctor is gonna say definitely you'll be back doing it they were like there's a strong chance that you will but it's gonna take one maybe two years um because you can't although you can rehab the hell out of it you also can't speed up the process of a hamstring tendon turning itself into a ligament, which is what they did. They took one of my hamstring tendons and have made my new ACL from it and sort of screwed it into my into my knee. You can't speed up that process. So I had to be patient with it and I had to follow their advice. I pushed the boundaries a little bit, but but within reason. Um and the best bit of advice I got was get loads of sleep and eat really well. And I was like, those two things <laughs> I can do. I'm on board with that. <laughs> That's really good advice. <laughs> well, you, your body repairs itself when you sleep. So they all, they all just said, make sure you get your solid seven to nine hours a night. And 
was like, that is some great advice that I will take on very, yeah. <laughs> so you lived in pyjamas for a year. <laughs> <laughs> pyjamas and gym kit, yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering because I suddenly, I mean, you're so talented, do so much stuff. I suddenly remember all these amazing paintings popping up. Did that coincide with your injury? Or was there something uh, that... <laughs> so that... that um that kind of coincided with COVID, actually. Right. Okay. So, so she, was, when, she when, wasn't able to travel. So <laughs> exactly. Um, I I did art A level as a kid, um, or at school, and hadn't really painted properly in I don't know ten years or so. And um, COVID hit, and I thought, cool. What can I do with my time? So asked social media if anyone would like. A, a painting for a small fee and then it just took off then I was doing commissions for six seven months straight um which was just yeah amazing and then it was also super helpful whilst rehabbing because it was it was something I could do and it's actually it's one of the few things in life that I can actually sit still and do for hours oh oh that's nice so find something it, that yeah you it can takes get lost me into in. like a real zen place um because I'm normally running at 100 miles an hour, like a Duracell bunny, like all over the place. But with painting, I hours can go by and I listen to super chilled acoustic music and yeah, the day will just go. And uh, yeah, I, re- I really, really, I really love it. I miss it, actually. Um, just... I haven't done any for probably over a year now. I mean, I can send you a commission for my dog if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Your beagle? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so yeah I was thinking when we were talking about that kind of definition of resilience and you talked about kind of bouncing back from adversity but Mm. I mean it took you a long time to come back from that knee injury it was always going to wasn't it um and it's really nice to hear that you were patient and didn't push it and too much and successfully came back so how did that feel when you did start to be able to do a little bit more on your knee oh it was yeah it was amazing I think one of the key things with my rehab was I stopped I stopped thinking about okay when can I run my next ultra and I actually I celebrated every little success so for example it was the 2nd of March last year um so three months post-surgery also my mum's birthday and it was the first time that I ran 100 meters it was the start of my run walk program and me and my mum went out to the local green we both wore party hats (laughs) and just did tiny little shuttles of, of of running walking and people were like beeping and cheering us on and it was just you know it was such a a small step of being able to do that but it was also it was such a good thing to celebrate as well um and I think that that really helped so like stop thinking about that that end term goal and actually broke it down into those small achievable ones and really did celebrate so I had to do so many um like single leg bridges and just I remember the first time I did 20 on each leg I was like yes (laughs) Um, it was just such a big, big achievement. Um, and I, I wrote a journal as well. So I tracked my progress and it helped me to sort of look back 
and you know even even a month later to see the progress because I think you can you you can forget where you were where you've come from and where you are now yeah so that really it like if I was feeling down I'd be like okay a month ago I couldn't even do five single leg bridges and now look where I am um that that really helped me um and then yeah I, I had to be really careful though when I and I did start to get back to running 5k's and 10k's I was like don't push it too far <laughs> so um a lot of the physios were like we normally have to encourage you know encourage people to actually do their rehab but with you our main thing is going to be like reining you back <laughs> and um making sure you don't do too much so I think I was fairly well behaved um <laughs> just yeah I wanted to do it properly yeah I think I mean, how did you feel? So one of the things that I've had is um, with my knee replacement is my surgeons said, no, running's out. And anecdotally, there are lots of people that run on knee replacements. But when I've told particularly runners that, it's like, well, that's the challenge. You've got to prove them wrong. And I'm kind of like, well, I'm not really thinking about that. What I'm thinking is just those little steps, those getting pain free, getting out on my bike. I mean, how, how was were people around you or was there any kind of yeah that kind of I need to prove them wrong because it sounds like you did it properly and just took it as you were advised um yeah I don't I don't think it was there were a couple of occasions so a few different physios had very different opinions on on when I should start running at at what stage. Um, So there was a bit of conflict and I essentially, I listened to my body. So I I'd hit the criteria that I had to hit that one physio had said I needed to do, but another physio was very set in a timeline, but every every single person, every body is different and everyone's progress is going to be different depending on, their strength and fitness before injury, the amount of effort they put into rehab. So I didn't like being held to those time scales because the progress I made was ahead of those. So when I had conflicting opinions, I kind of, I ended up falling somewhere in the middle and listened to my body because um, ultimately you know it better than anyone else. Yeah. Um and then yeah. was the Lapland Ultra the first race that you did coming back from that injury in terms of endurance events? Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> so that that one, it wasn't to prove to anyone else that I was going to get back doing it. It was, it was for me. It was to prove to myself that, yeah, my left knee will never be the same again, but I didn't want that to to stop me or hold me back from doing all the things that I loved. And I guess for me to find that out, whether I, I was still capable or not, physically and mentally, I had to, I wanted to throw myself in the deep end. And yeah, the Montane Lapland Arctic Ultra, it just felt like the perfect, suitably cheeky event to, to head out and do. So yeah, one year and three months post my surgery. Um it it came at the right time admittedly I only had five weeks notice to train for it (laughs) standard (laughs) yeah I know um 
but I, I went out there like feeling so ready yeah but like, I mean it hadn't I, been five weeks because you'd been rehabbing yeah, and training rehab. and yeah <laughs> when I, when I feel like, like I'm winging something I say oh, I've just been training my whole life for this <laughs> that's um, a good way of looking at it I guess I mean like specific training so yeah. dragging the tire um doing yeah long hilly trail runs doing the cold water stuff um yeah I, I, I like what I like what you said there I like to keep my base fitness good all year round just in case these spontaneous challenges come up you never know like, who's gonna knock yeah, on your door and say in five exactly. weeks cool yeah I'm in let me just drag a tire for a couple of weeks then I'll be there (laughs) and kind of mentally how did you feel like I'm wondering whether your mental resilience was kind of not less but different because you didn't want to push yourself you didn't want to take risks on the knee or whether it was the opposite whether you thought well I've got over such bad things that I know that I can get through a race um it was a bit of both I think I I had to remind myself a few times like why I was there and actually it wasn't to race other people so I went into it sort of knowing knowing my purpose and knowing what I wanted to get out of it and that wasn't for me to win it um it was for me to get through in one piece and feel good and feel strong um and I did have to really push myself mentally, especially at night when you start hallucinating and, and it's dark and you have no idea where you are um, and it's minus 15. Um, but yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't for anyone else. It was, it was for me. And I did, I had to remind myself of that a few times and say, look, you don't need to beat that person. You just have a rest it's fine um because the main aim was just to, was to finish to get through it in and 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 feel good which you did I'm guessing or it looked like you did yeah so I so we had um 92 hours to complete the 185k event so four 24-hour periods and I finished it in 74 hours and I came fourth overall and second female that's great. So I was, yeah, I, I, I far exceeded my expectations. And I, I always see it as like, I, I won my own race because I, I did it and I did better than I thought I would. I honestly expected to be crawling across the finish line at 91 and a half hours. Um, so to finish nearly a day ahead of schedule, it, it was a huge relief. And I was, yeah, I was proud of myself. And that's something I don't think we do enough. I don't think we we celebrate our, our own successes and go, actually, do you know what? I did pretty good here. And, <laughs> and, that's, uh, and yeah. that's okay. And one thing that I've, I think, like, particularly with races where you just end up with a results table and it shows you nothing about what people have got through to get there. And there were times yeah. where, like, I've had my chronic fatigue syndrome and had illness and kind of battle like I was so proud of just finishing something and the results don't tell you that do they they're just like this is your time and I think we forget that kind of everybody's bringing something to those races no it's not easy for for anyone I don't think there's no I and I I don't like to call them races I like to call them events Mm. because everyone 
and that's something I love about those events is every single person is always doing it for their own personal reasons and most of the time no one's racing someone else it's they're doing it for themselves and when I'm winning their own races um and that's what I love about it I always meet such amazing people and they inspire me to go on and do the next thing and it's always I tick one thing off the list and end up adding five more (laughs) (laughs) it's dangerous meeting people isn't it (laughs) yeah oh god I need to do that as well now (laughs) so what did what did you go on to do after the Lapland event (laughs) good um so after that I um I then got the opportunity to head out to Pakistan for two months on a an expedition so I went out beginning of June um for two months on an exped to climb Broad Peak so that's the 12th highest mountain in the world it's one of the 8,000 meter peaks um and yeah went out beginning of June uh came back beginning of August last year and yeah you I mean I I think you've kind of done expeditions and um exciting trips like since you were quite young actually haven't you like um going out to Nepal when you were a teenager and things and like where do they fit in in you think developing resilience and being able to cope with adversity or being able to cope with things being uncomfortable is that something you think you have been experienced Mm. with from a young age or did all those trips go swimmingly <laughs> like no issues um, and just a nice gosh, holiday no. <laughs> they never go swimmingly um <laughs> I think um yeah I, I I love doing all that stuff from a young age I was a scout as a as a child which was quite unusual for a girl sort of 20 years ago um and like I said earlier I kind of got used to not having home comforts and being a bit uncomfortable by going on scout camps and skinning rabbits and having to cook all my food on a fire at the age of 10. And um, I think that was a great sort of foundation. Um, And yeah, I think expeditions in particular, they require quite a lot of, of resilience because you are away from home for a long period of time. Your comms are hit and miss you live in a tent for however long you only have to you, you can only bring a select amount of items um so only a couple of sort of luxury items like a kindle and and shampoo um, a pillow that's sometimes my luxury item <laughs> yeah um and I think I love expedition life because it's simple and I I really enjoy that simplicity of I need to get up, I need to eat, fuel my body. I need to either climb or hike or run, keep fueling. I need to rest and then I need to do the same again. Um, I I love that simplicity and I, I missed being in Pakistan like almost immediately. Um, it, it was a, it was a tough expedition um, because we lost a team member, Gordo, um, on the summit ridge so it was also like as much as it was a, a phenomenal place and a phenomenal team to go with it was also quite a, a harsh reminder of the power of mother nature and risk versus rewards on these trips because you never think it will happen to 
to you or your teammate um and I guess yeah it's put a put a bit of a it's made me think about things a bit more um because of yeah because of losing him I'm so yeah I'm so sorry about that news and I think you you wrote about this um in Sidetrack magazine that I've only just got my copy of that um and I think you you kind of wrote in there about hope and how you did get find hope after that. I mean, it must have yeah. been such a dark period for you coming back without one of your team members. Um, how did you cope with that over the time? Um, we we supported each other a lot as a team, which was really important. Um, and... I yeah I, I ended up getting a bit of help from a military charity to to sort of I think be proactive rather than end up needing sort of reactive help. Um, I just wanted to stay on top of it and and talk through the process of trauma and grief and um, bereavement. And then I think also my one of my coping mechanisms is to then okay what can I do in his memory what can I what can I how how can I use him and and his memory to sort of to spur me on and and do him proud so at his wake he had all his Ironman medals on display and so I instantly signed up to do the Tallinn Ironman in Estonia this August so this one wasn't five weeks away you've given yourself a little bit more prep (laughs) Yeah, a, b- a bit more. Oh, what a, <laughs> a lovely thing time. to do. And do you feel him kind of there watching you as you start your training and head towards that event? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then um, beginning of February last month, I went out to Morocco to climb Tupkal, so the highest peak in North Africa. And Kerry, Gordon's wife, messaged me to say that that those two had climbed it in summer in, in 2009, um, which I didn't even realize for me, it was kind of, I wanted to go out to the mountains in the snow and, and find a bit of peace mm. in the mountains and, and just sort of take myself out there to, and, and climb a mountain that was risk-free or relatively risk-free. Um, and just, it just feel at peace there. And then when I found out that they'd, they'd summited it together, I was like, Oh my God hit me right in the feels and it, it meant a lot more um and yeah it was I felt it was something I needed to do and it was it was a really good experience and beautiful clear blue skies on the summit summit day and no one else was there so I was like yes thanks Gordo you've sent me <sighs> sent me the the most perfect conditions to stand up here oh it looked fantastic on your photos it looked so beautiful there um and I wasn't aware of the um added kind of emotional meaning to it with um Gordo yeah so just like thinking about your training in the military I mean I have spoken to somebody on this podcast who but she was in the army quite a while ago and she Mm. thought that yes physical resilience was a huge part of the training but the kind of emotional resilience or you said about the mental resilience maybe Mm. not so much I mean what sort of things do you pick from your training that's really helped towards building resilience or uncovering resilience, whichever way you want to think about it? 
Um, I think it's the one thing I love about the military is is there are some really tough times, but you don't get camaraderie anywhere else like when you face adversity in in those situations. So it's being able to to be in that situation. You know, everyone else is feeling that as well, and and to. I've had some of the funniest times in some of the darkest and most horrendous times um, because everyone just pulls together. Everyone's in it together. Um, and and having that that support network and those people around you, I think that makes a real difference. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like you got that support even when you're going through something which is only happening to you, such as the knee injury as well. Yeah. It sounded like you got a lot of support there. And in terms of your kind of talks that you've been doing since, what sort of things have you been um, talking about then other than the kind of personal stories that you said? Um, yeah, I'd be similar to what we've been speaking about today. So um, I, I sort of always give sort of three key takeaways um so I talk about embracing the unexpected and saying yes to those challenges because that's this that's what's made me get onto my unexpected journey you know I had no idea what I wanted to do as a kid and to be honest I still have no idea what I want to do when I grow up (laughs) eventually (laughs) but if I hadn't have said yes to all these things that have come my way I wouldn't have ended up on this path so having a growth mindset and saying yes to those things, even when they scare you, will take you on like the most amazing, unexpected journey. Oh, um, yeah, I totally I also, feel that. <laughs> yeah, and then I also talk about sort of knowing your purpose and knowing your own why, because it's easy to get caught up and compare yourself against other people, but no one else is doing what you're doing for the same reason. And so if you know exactly why why you're doing it, what your reason, what your why is, that will sort of help help you stay on your track and focus on you. And like I say, it's always your own race. It's not it's not other people's, it's your own race. Um, and then the final thing is to to always persist at obstacles and sort of overcome adversity. Um, and you can learn from setbacks and use them as an opportunity to grow rather than set you back even further um and actually I think a lot of a lot of my talks now are because I got injured and that comeback that I've done and you know silver lining if I hadn't have got injured would I be where I am today I don't know um so it's using it as 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 a springboard and going cool my leg decided to snap but I'm going to do a great comeback I'm going to do this Arctic Ultra and and not let it stop me so and I and I just I really hope that people listen and think, do you know what? If she can do it, why can't I? Um, and and I hope that that people will take on those challenges that they're scared to do and take that first step. Um, and don't compare yourself to other people because challenge is such a relative word, and and no one's challenge is better than anyone else's. As long as it's a challenge to you, then that's the main thing. Yeah. Oh, I love all those words. Thank you so much. And, and kind of looking, I mean, sometimes I ask guests like, are oh, you a resilient person? I mean, yeah, hell yeah, you are. <laughs> but when we've kind of talked about so much of those last few years or decades, mm. like where do you see those resilient moments for you? 
if I said like what where did the resilience come out what would you pick um I do think that 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 turnaround in my mindset when I got injured was probably the 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 main point um and just I had I did have to have words with myself a lot to 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 be like don't feel stop feeling sorry for yourself like I know this is hard and I know it's terrible but it's not the end of the world there's light at the end of the tunnel focus on what you can do not not on what you can't do and you will get there um so yeah I do give myself quite a lot of pep talks (laughs) I love it I'm gonna get your pep talks and just stick them all over my walls (laughs) (laughs) um that that for me I think because it was it was an unexpected challenge. So something like the Arctic Ultra, I signed up for. I knew that I was going to do that and I was going to give it my best shot. Getting injured wasn't something I signed up for. So that did, it took more more resilience from me because I wasn't mentally prepared to deal with that. Whereas with the Arctic, I knew I was going to face scenarios where I was uncomfortable and I physically and mentally prepared myself as best I could. But for that injury, I wasn't at all. <laughs> oh, I totally, yeah, that resonates with me so much, especially, it just feels like there wasn't, the the races that I've done were just fun. There wasn't really much risk. If you step off the track and f- kind of call it a day and don't finish, then yeah. there's no major consequence. But yeah, they're getting injured. You don't really have a choice, do you? No. Ah, so what are you up to now? What are you training for? What are you where in the world are you going to head off to next what's what are you up to um gosh all sorts so <laughs> of course <laughs> <laughs> um obviously training for the iron man in august um i am also doing the dragons back a month later oh okay so straight into the taper for that then <laughs> well yeah i kind of i figured like, well, again, five weeks be, you can you know, turn it around it's fine <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I figured you know what I'll be in I'll be in a good good fitness from the Iron Man, yeah. um, and yeah, I'll have I'll have a few weeks to recover, <laughs> wash your kit, training, taper, <laughs> um, and yeah, the opportunity was there, and I thought I'm going to take it. So, so yes. that's a month later. So beginning of September, 380k down the spine of Wales. It looks fun. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely on my list before my knees said no. <laughs> oh, so that'll be good. And then hopefully get in so a couple of sort of training holidays for that over spring, summer. Um, so yeah, get up into Scotland, get into the hills there and do do long hilly days, get into North Wales and then hopefully get out to Corsica as well. I'd love to do the GR20 mm. as a bit of a training holiday. And work-wise, like with the, are you full, fully back with um, army? Did you have to kind of finish your Royal Marines training um, after so your knee no, surgery? No, I didn't go back to finish that. Um, not yet, anyway. I, I've still been in two minds about whether to give it another go or not. I'm just worried: is it worth the risk? Because my knee's in a great place now, and my endurance stuff is going really well. So that's probably more important to me at the moment. Um, but back, yeah, back, back in with my reserve unit, um, and then work, I'm, uh, working for a leadership company. So I 
deliver courses, um, anything from graduate programs where we teach them all sorts of theories about resilience and communication and leadership and, and get to get them to apply it in all sorts of weird and wonderful scenarios. So up <laughs> in the hills, down rivers. Um, and Are you so shouting can... at them and locking them in coffins, Katie? <laughs> no, I'm very nice. <laughs> I like of to course. think anyway. Of <laughs> so I could one day I could be up Snowdon and the next week I could be doing a keynote talk in London. So it's got some great variety and they're also really supportive of me having time off to do all of my expeditions and adventures so um it's a great balance I love it it feels like yeah you found a perfect role jobs <laughs> life yeah just lots of lots of fingers and pies <laughs> that's pretty much how I describe my career at the moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> trying to make the hobbies into income is what I'm going with <laughs> it's a good plan <laughs> why not you've got to give it a go and then yeah obviously stuff with Montaigne's going really well as well so I've um, done some filming with them recently for International Women's Day and done a few talks so Keswick, Kendall um, yeah so 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 they're being super supportive as well which is amazing. Ah, well, thank you so much, especially for talking about all, yeah, everything to do with resilience. Um, It's been fascinating. Thanks for having me. No, and I'm going to be, you know, cutting all your quotes (laughs) about getting back from injury. I can imagine them now plastered around my um, walls because I find it really inspirational of how you've come back. So well done with that. Thank you. My favourite quote, and this is what I remind myself a lot, is that attitude is the difference between an ordeal and an adventure. (laughs) That works for everything, like whatever you're up to. I like that one. Thank you. (laughs) And any more, just send them, text them to me (laughs) (laughs) as they come. (laughs) But no, thank you so much. I'll put the uh, links to some of the videos that we've talked about as well in the show notes so that people can follow you and also your Instagram. And we never know when you're going to be popping up painting, singing. I don't don't know what you're going to be doing on there. (laughs) I don't know either. It's a mystery to us all. (laughs) But thank you so much for your time today. Bye, Katie. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.